Welcome to Bethlehem Church Online. I'm Pastor Matt. I'm so excited that you decided to join us for worship today. I hope the singing and preaching of God's Word is uplifting and it gives you just what you need. I'm not sure where you are in your relationship or your walk with the Lord, uh, but I want today to be a blessing. I want you to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And so we pray that today is encouraging and that it's just what you need. If it's your first time, make sure to click the link in the post and fill out that form. We have a free gift for you following today's service. Thank you so much for joining us and enjoy the service. Exodus chapter four, verse 18 is kind of where we're going to start. Uh, so he's really right. Uh, it's a really weird passage that we'll get into and you'll kind of see what I mean uh, once we get in there. But a lot of weird subject matter, the chronology jumps around a lot. Um, and I think that's intentional, which I think will also come out. Uh, so if you're up to speed uh, with where we're at up until this point, uh, Moses just received, or, or rather he met Yahweh at the burning bush, which is why it was so hot in here this morning. Uh, we wanted to make sure everybody felt what was happening in the story. And then after I felt like the point was made, I turned the AC and the fans on. Um, so hopefully that was received. Is anybody cold? Okay, great. I was going to say, if somebody's cold... Sorry. Um, anyway, so, but at this point, uh, Moses had just met Yahweh at the burning bush. Um, he revealed his name uh, last week. We covered that, and by we, I mean him. Um, but now, uh, Moses has been commissioned to release his people from exile in Egypt. Uh, yet, I think what we'll see here, and I, I think we're, uh, this is going to land for everybody today, uh, is Moses has yet to be released from an exile that he still finds himself in. Uh, literally, he's in exile in Midian. Remember, he killed some Egyptians. He fled. He's been there for a couple decades now. Uh, he's working for his father-in-law. He now has a family. Um, and now he finds himself in this conundrum where he is tasked to not only go back to Egypt, but uh, to defy the government <laughs> and free a whole people group. Uh, so that's it's pretty awesome. A lot going on here. But when you look at Moses in this text, and I want us to think about this, like, when you look at Moses in the previous chapter at the burning bush, this chapter, chapter four, um, it's, it's a really different Moses uh, than what we see in the rest of the, the Exodus story and really just our overall view of him and who he is as a leader in the Old Testament. I mean, he's one of the most, uh, one of the most recognized historical figures of all time. Uh, but there was a time when Moses wasn't Moses. You know what I mean? And I think a lot of us either find ourselves in that position where we are, we're in a transition of becoming who the Lord wants us to be. Um, and I think that, you know, we can all kind of identify with that in a lot of ways. And so when we look at him, he's not, he's not the same. But from verse 18 to 31, like a lot of transition happens. And chapter 5, verse 1, it's on. He's in Pharaoh's office throwing down. And so something, something happens, right? And we're going we're gonna to trace uh, what exactly that is. And so this, the last half of this chapter, though it's just a few verses, it's broken up into three uh, small narratives. And so the three narratives that we find, what's interesting about them to me, and this kind of makes sense of the chronology being a little bit jumbled because you read it and it feels like, you know, it's, it's hopping around a little bit timeline-wise. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense on top of the weirdness that we find in the chapter. Um, but I think that that's intentional because what it does is Moses' journey that we see from 18 to 31 is a microcosm of the Exodus journey that the Israelites will now go through from chapter 5 to chapter 20. 
which is pretty cool. So he kind of undergoes his own Exodus journey before he leads Israel on their Exodus journey. So it's really, really cool stuff. Um, so that being said, something that I want you guys to keep in the front of your minds as we talk about this, and I think this, is, this kind of really sums the whole thing up, uh, but keep this statement in your mind. Before the Lord does a work through you, uh, he wants to do a work in you. And I think that that's something that we'll see over and over and over again in the life of Moses this morning. So let's jump in here. We're going to read verses 18 through 20 to start out. Uh, Then Moses departed and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go, that I may return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see if they are still alive. And and, And then Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And now the Lord said to Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. And so Moses took his wife and his sons and he mounted them on a donkey and returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses also took the staff of God in his hand with him. And so that's the staff that turns into a snake. He's got some cool parlor tricks for the road, right? Uh, We're moving. So number one here, this is the first thing. This is like uh, Moses encounter with Pharaoh being foreshadowed or prefigured. Um, And what I mean by that is when you read the story, it looks and sounds like that whole situation. He goes to his father-in-law Jethro and he says, hey, listen, please let me go. It's the same. It's like the same petition that goes to Pharaoh. And he even does the same thing where he kind of gives like a half truth to his father-in-law. Because think about when Moses goes to Pharaoh, he's like, hey, listen, I'm going to take my people. We're going to go into the wilderness, a few days journey. We're going to worship and we're going to come back. It's kind of one of the first things that we'll see that he says to Pharaoh, which was not true. That was not Moses' intention at all. And with his father-in-law, he's like, hey, listen, I want to go to Egypt and I want to make sure that all my brethren are still alive. I just want to check on them. Definitely not going to lead a movement or anything. Just going to check on, just going to check on my people real quick, right? It's, it's like the same, it's the same Moses, right? He's, you know, he's kind of, he's being a little untruthful, but he's petitioning for a departure. And so that's kind of our first prefigurement here. And the differences though, is that Moses, you know, probably expected some resistance. You know, if you think about the situation, think about the fact that Moses has now lived here for probably close to 40 years. Um, and he has children who know no place but Midian. He has a wife that is the daughter of his father-in-law who he works for. His father-in-law would probably be out. I mean, I'm assuming Moses held some sort of leadership on the farm that he worked on, right? If you think about the whole situation, it's probably a pretty difficult situation to leave. And so Moses was probably expecting a little bit of friction. And then Jethro's like, yeah, get out of here. (laughs) Because nobody wants to live with their son-in-law, right? (laughs) See, I got less laughs in the 9 a.m., but I'm glad y'all like that. That's good. Um, So it's kind of like an inverted foreshadowing where he, you know, you would expect there to be some resistance and there is not. And then as we move through and you see in uh, verse 19, the Lord comes to Moses and he's like, hey, listen, go to Egypt. Like this is a conversation that has already happened. And so we can ask ourselves the question, well, why is this resurfacing again? Why does the Lord have to come to Moses again to ask Moses to go to Egypt, and not just that, but he tells him, hey, just so you know, the people who were seeking your life are now dead, so you have nothing to worry about, so like, get on, get on down the road. And when we look at this, the, the two main differences with this situation and Pharaoh's situation 
Number one is it's, you know, there was no, no haste on Jethro's part. He was eager to get him out of there. And number two, there, you know, the person who was standing in Moses' way this time was not uh, Jethro or Pharaoh. It was just Moses. And you say, I don't see that in there. Where do you get that? Look at the, let's look at the text carefully and see what's going on. Mo, once again, the Lord goes to Moses again, and he says, dude, like, get the heck out of here. Like, I know you're, you know, you think you've got your affairs to get in order, and you've got stuff that you want to do, but I need you in Egypt, like, yesterday. And he's like, to add, to add more to that, like, you're not in danger. Just, like, get, get the heck down the road, bro. I can say heck up here, right? I feel like I say something just about every time that's a little on the fence there, but that's what I love about our church. We're a little, uh, you know, I live on the line. That's where I live. <laughs> if you know me, you know that's true. Um, and some of you were like, heck is not on the line. Um, <laughs> uh, but the Lord's coming to him and he's like, bro, like get the heck out of Dodge, like get to Egypt, get it done. And what's happening is you have, let's think about the burning bush for a second. What happened there? You know, the Lord comes to Moses and he's like, hey, listen, I'm Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I want you to be the deliverer for my people that are suffering in Egypt, your people. And Moses's responses are, you know, not really what you would expect for somebody who's being cast as the hero in the story. You know, he's like, oh man, that sounds awesome, Lord. But like, so... I, like, I got this speech problem, you know, where I can't really communicate clearly. And the Lord's like, oh, not a problem. You know, I, uh, your, your brother Aaron speaks really well. Uh, I'll send him with you, and that'll be, that'll be good. We're taken care of. And he's like, I, I don't know, Lord. I don't, I don't think I'm worthy. I don't think I'm, like, the guy for that. You know what I mean? Like, I did kill two guys. Not really sure how I feel. Or just one guy, probably. Um, <laughs> I was going to make an OJ joke, but now is not the time. Um, <laughs> anyway. Um, but he's like, Lord, I just, I don't feel like I'm worthy. Um, you know, this is, you know, and he's like, the Lord's like, it's okay. I'm going to be with you. You can do this. And then Moses is like, look, I'm going to be real with you. Like, just find somebody else. Like, honestly. <laughs> and that, that's literally how the conversation goes without some of the pleasantries. Right. Um, and then in this, as we pick up again, right after that, when Moses finally leaves the burning bush to go back to Midian to say his farewells, uh, now he's delaying. Now he, the Lord has to come to him again and say, hey, remember, you were supposed to go to Egypt. Like, your people are suffering. Remember that? Remember that whole conversation we had? And you're just kind of hanging out. Like, let's, let's not do that. There's no reason for you to be here. Let's, let's move along down the road. And, you know, Moses is a prime example in this situation where 9.99 times out of 10, at least for me, we are the source of our own problems. Can anybody identify with that? Like in this story, thank you, I see you in the sound booth. Um, but in this story, like there is, there is nobody standing away or in the way of Moses leaving Midian to go be what he needs to be for his people except himself. That's it. That's the only thing standing in his way, and that seems to be a consistent obstacle for him. And so as we circle, as we square the circle a little bit, right, as we step back, let's look at this idea, like Moses is undergoing his own exodus journey, his own transformative journey from Midian to Egypt. And it's just like the same way when the Israelites leave Egypt, like they're, they're just a bunch of poor people in a desert. And then when they enter the promised land, they are, a, they are a formidable army because they have underwent a transformation at Mount Sinai. And so it's the same thing 
that happens to Moses that is, that is happening in the story. And what I want us to look at is what, you know, what made, what made timid Moses the strong leader Moses? What's the difference here? And there's a lot of weird stuff in here that we'll cover, but that's not the, that's not the meat of it. The meat of it is between verse 18 and chapter 5, verse 1, Moses is a different guy. Like, what happens? And so we're going to jump in there, and we're going to find that. Um, so as Moses is leaving Midian, I think what's become clear, you know, to us at this point about Moses is there's more, <laughs> there's more that he needs to leave behind in his life than just Midian. He's got more going on inside, more, more doubt, more fear in his heart that needs to be left in Midian than just the, the, you know, the reality that he needs to leave a physical place. There's so much more uh, going on that. And can I say that the Lord does his best work when we choose to follow him into uncharted territory? Like Moses' story is no exception. And if you can reflect and look back on times in your life where you feel like the Lord's been at work, it's always been during a time of hardship. It's always been during a time of transition. It's always been in the unknown, in something that we are not comfortable with. And once again, Moses' story is no exception to that. He's undergoing a transformation and he's going through a journey that a lot of us have experienced just with small differences. And so as we read on, uh, verse 21, Lord says to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, See that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders which I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. And so I said to you, let my son go that he may serve me, but you have refused to let him go. Behold, I will kill your son, your firstborn. This is, this is God's message to Pharaoh that, that Moses is going to carry. And there's a lot of weight to that. And when you read that by itself, you're kind of like, man, that's kind of, that's a harsh, you know, that's pretty, uh, pretty steep. Like, hey, if you don't do what I say, I'm going to kill your son. Like that's, you know, <laughs> objectively, that's pretty harsh. Um, but when we take a step back and we think about it, it's actually kind of generous considering the fact that just a few chapters ago, Pharaoh was dumping Hebrew babies into the river. Just a few chapters ago, Pharaoh was forcing abortion on Hebrew mothers. Like this is a this is a, a tit for tat response, so to speak, from from Yahweh to Pharaoh, and he says, "Listen, if you don't obey, this is what awaits." And I thought this was kind of a neat detail to bring out too, um, just because this language kind of uh, it brings my mind to some verses in the New Testament about Jesus. And so uh, Colossians 1:15, it'll be up there on the screen for you. Um, but Jesus is also called God's firstborn. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And a lot of people will read that and they'll draw the conclusion like, see, Jesus, Jesus was created, right? He's not like, he's not the infinite God in the flesh. He was a created being. He came from something, right? But what both of these passages are talking about is the fact that not, it's not an ontological claim. It's the fact that Jesus and Israel in this situation are given the status of being the firstborn. How many of y'all are firstborns? Not a whole lot of you. That explains a lot about our church. Okay. All right. Um, so there are, even in our culture in the West, there are certain advantages uh, of being the firstborn child, specifically the firstborn son. Um, and in the Eastern part of the world, um, which is most of the world, there are even more implications of, of status with being you know, the firstborn son of the family. 
And so all the Lord's saying is like, listen, like I, like Israel has the status and has the, you know, the, can't think of the word I was thinking of, but they got the status, right, of being the firstborn son. And because you messed with that, we've got problems. And when Paul talks about Jesus, he says, listen, in the same way that Israel was God's firstborn son, meaning they had a special status, Jesus has that same status and then some over Israel because he's the firstborn of all creation, meaning he owns all of it. He has a right to everything. He's not just a, he's not just a people group. He is the, the infinite God of the universe who has a right to all that, that is. And that, that's the claim. And I think that sometimes that gets a little muddy uh, people cherry pick things and they like to, you know, they like to nitpick, right? And I just felt like that was a, a good time to kind of pull that out based on the language. So both of them refer to a status, not an ontology, meaning it's not a, not a physical thing. So moral of the story, Pharaoh's disobedience would lead to the loss of his firstborn. And then <clears throat> in verse, whoop, got backed up here just a second. And so that kind of segues us into our next uh, section here, which is verse 24 through 26. Uh, just going to front load it. We're talking about circumcision. So whether you're circumcised, uncircumcised, doesn't really matter. That's not really what we're after here, uh, but it is a really weird passage. And if you want to read more about this, the questionnaire in the program, I just put an excerpt from a commentary that I was reading uh, that I felt like explained this whole thing really well, uh, much better than I can. So that's in there if you'd like to read that. If you'd like to read about circumcision at like lunch or something, like that's great. Um, it's in there if you want that. Um, but so <laughs> it's okay. You can laugh. It's fine. Um, he, we really, he was uh, a couple weeks ago. He was like, hey, can you preach for me on this date? And I was like, oh, yeah, sure, no problem. And then I started reading, and I was like, you son of a gun. You, you dumped this on me. Like this isn't fair. Um, you gave me the most obscure passage in the book of Exodus. So, you know. I'm traumatized, need some time off work, workers comp, you know, all that good stuff. So anyway, so in Moses' journey, so we've tracked from, you know, he's now, you know, negotiated with Jethro to, to leave. Um, and now we're with the part, of the, the part of his journey that we're moving into is a foreshadowment of the Passover, which is really cool. And we're going to read this and you're going to be like, what? Like, how, did, how is that related at all? And we're going to get there, I promise. So just hang with me. So we're going to read this, and then we're going to dive in. And this is probably where we're going to spend a bulk of our time, because I feel like it kind of needs it. Um, verse 24, it says, now it came about. So Moses has left. He's left Midian. And where we're at is it came about at the lodging place. And lodging place could be, it could be like a camp they set up for the night, uh, or it could be an inn that they stayed at. It just kind of depends on what your manuscript preference is. Um, on the way that the Lord met, uh, Lord met him and sought to put him to death. And this is Moses' family is the only, the only people in the situation. And then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and threw it at Moses' feet. And she said, you were indeed a bridegroom of blood to me. And so he let him alone. And at the time she said, you were a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. So it's this really weird situation where you have Moses is now on a journey and he's, you know, they, they've stopped for the night. And for some reason, you know, we, we get the vibe that the Lord is angry at Moses for something, you know, and there's a laundry list of things before this that he could be angry about. But uh, what happens is Zipporah takes out a flint and cuts off her son's foreskin. Now, there's a couple things that make this passage really difficult. 
Um, and one of those is that Moses is actually not mentioned in the Hebrew text here. Uh, so if you read the underlying text, uh, it's just a pronoun. It just says his. So in other words, it would read, cut off her son's foreskin and threw it at his feet, even though our translations say Moses. Now that's kind of a, you know, it's an interpretive decision. All translations do that. Um, I read the NASB, the CSB does it, the K, K, whatever, all of the other ones do it too. <laughs> it just happens. Um, because if you don't do that, you're kind of left with, you're kind of left with a whole lot of questions when you read this. Like there has to be a subject to this for it to, to make sense. And so there, he's, he's not mentioned. And so you're kind of left to figure out who some of these people are in the story on your own. And number two, nobody's really 100% sure what the Hebrew term means that we translate as bridegroom of blood. It could also just mean blood relative, which is a very different meaning than bridegroom. And so we've got some stuff to unpack and deal with here. Um, and again, it's, it's difficult. And everybody who's honest about Bible study, like this is just one of those things where we probably won't know the whole truth this side of heaven, but we could try. Um, and I think what I'm going to, you know, kind of bring out here, um, it's a safe place to land, and it really doesn't change any implications one way or the other, but I think you'll find that it makes sense. Um, so I think the most viable view in this passage is that Moses' firstborn son, Gershom, is the he in the passage. And so let's dive into what, what exactly that would mean. So let's break it down. Number one, the Lord's mad. So he's mad. Why is he mad and why is the solution Moses' son getting circumcised? And then once Moses' son is circumcised, why is his foreskin thrown onto somebody, i.e. his feet? And another layer that makes this interesting is in Hebrew, feet is a euphemism for genitals. So that makes this a little bit weirder, you know. So just hang with me for a second. <laughs> I can see some of your faces like, you know, this is in the Bible? Like, this isn't the verse on my coffee mug. Um, <laughs> but here we are. So, <laughs> Ryan, I'm glad you like that one. <laughs> um, and so you have all this stuff happening, and, you know, you're like, what, what's going on? So what happened before this, though? Right, let me retract that. What was when God gave Abraham the covenant, he said, listen, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. All the nations of the earth will be blessed in you. And one of the first like parts of that covenant, the sign of the covenant was what? Circumcision. Very good class. Okay. So every son of Abraham was to be circumcised on the eighth day. That was a non-negotiable. That was a requirement to be a part of God's covenant people doesn't mean everybody who's not circumcised doesn't go to heaven. That's not what that means. It means they're a part of the covenant family of Abraham, okay? Now that we're there. Now, Moses, based on his previous track record, had problems with making excuses, dragging his feet, not quite being all there. So naturally, when we get to this, it's easy to make the assumption that why, you know, or draw the observation, why wasn't Moses' son circumcised. Like that was a, an Israelite tradition for hundreds of years at this point. The Midianites, which were like Moses's wife was a Midianite, they were also descendants of Abraham. They knew about and practiced circumcision. And if you don't believe me, we just read that she just whips out a flint knife and just does it. And it was probably dark. Like she knew what she was doing. But for some reason, Moses's son, his firstborn was not. He was not circumcised. This had not 
happened in his life. And so most people draw the conclusion that the Lord was angry and, and had, had a desire to kill because of the fact that Moses had neglected to circumcise his firstborn son. And mind you, Moses was, I mean, nobody, nobody in current Israel knows who Moses is. And he's on his way back from Midian to Egypt to, to release these people from bondage under the guise that he's an Israelite and that Yahweh gave him a message for them. But yet his son is not marked with the sign of the Abrahamic covenant. That's a problem. That's a problem in this situation. And the Lord's like, he's probably had enough. He's like, come on, man. Like, this is like, you know, this, this, this should have been done a long time ago. Even post-burning bush until now, you had some time to do that while you were dragging your feet in Midian. So it's like a whole thing. And then to top that all off, you know, Moses isn't even the one that does the circumcision in this story. <laughs> he's actually, not only is Moses not the hero again in this part of the story, he's like the reason that this whole situation happens. And I think the root here, because when you take a step back and you read this and you're like, why does the Lord want to kill somebody? Like, that's really weird. Why, why would I want to subscribe to that? And here's, here's the whole thing to me. And here's why I think it's Gershom. And again, if you want to go read, read the, uh, some excerpts, they're in the, the questionnaire you can download. Um, but here's why I think it is. Immediately after Lord says to Moses, the, um, the consequence for Pharaoh is the loss of his firstborn son if he does not obey. And then Moses finds himself once again in a position of disobedience. And what this shows us is that even Moses, despite the status that he has in, in Judaism and Israelite history, he is not exempt from having to be obedient. And his consequence for disobedience is the same as that of Pharaoh if not greater, because he bears a greater responsibility as a leader of God's people. And so this whole thing revolves around the fact that Moses has displayed a constant pattern of disobedience, lack of faith, and a mountain of excuses have followed him around everywhere that he goes. And when you put all that together, you're like, this guy, like, what the heck's wrong with this guy? Like, why, why did God pick Moses to lead his people? Like, look at this mess. Like, this is really weird stuff that's all happening because Moses just can't get it together. That's where you're at when you read this and you're like, what, you know, what, what's going on? And so despite just how strange the situation is, I think it's fair to assume that it was placed into the narrative to communicate that. And some of the other ideas that it communicates, and again, we're, we're looping this into Passover now. So you've hung with me through the difficult part. Here's how it connects to Passover, and here's how it is a part of, of Moses' journey. The firstborn son is spared, right? Because if Gershom is the one in the story that is suffering the penalty because of the contrast to Pharaoh in the verse before, the firstborn son is spared because believing loyalty is displayed through the shedding of blood, just like the Passover. If you're familiar with the Passover event, the long short of it, right, is that God says, I'm going to judge the firstborn of Egypt. And you know, the death angel will pass over Egypt and any house that does not have the blood of a Passover lamb put on their doorposts will suffer this consequence. Sorry, water break. Um, so that's kind of the, that's Passover. Anyone who does not have the blood on their doorpost will suffer the loss of their firstborn son. Once again, very harsh, but God said, hey, listen, anybody, who puts the blood on their doorpost. Egyptian, Israelite, doesn't make a difference. Anybody who has enough faith to make that decision will have that, you know, you won't have to bear that consequence. 
And in this situation, right, it's the, it's the same thing where there is, you know, there is a, um, and some in the Greek manuscript of the Old Testament, it says the angel of the Lord, who is the same one who is in the Passover. The angel of the Lord meets Moses and seeks to kill him, right? That's the, that's how it's used in the, uh, in the Greek, the Greek Old Testament, which isn't as old as, as the Hebrew text in a lot of ways, but it's very reliable. Um, but it's, it's just like the Passover where, you know, there's a problem, death of the firstborn is on the table, and because blood is shed and applied through faith, that, that crisis is averted. And so this is a, another inversion of the Exodus journey out of Egypt for the Israelites that is happening on a personal level in Moses' life. This is pretty cool. Y'all tracking with me? We okay? Okay, good stuff. Thought I might lose you right there. Because um, again, it's just, it's very obscure, very hard to follow at times, but I think it's really, really important. Um, and once again, this is all Pastor Matt's fault that I'm up here talking about this. So y'all can blame him. Um, so, and it's, I think it's also really important to note, if you followed along thus far in the Exodus story, there have been uh, women who were a part of God's people or otherwise that have been instrumental um, in, in moving towards God delivering the Israelites. And Zipporah is no exception, right? She, she is the one that is responsible for the sparing of the firstborn of Moses' household. And, you know, in this culture, and we talked about this, I think, the last time uh, I gave a message from Exodus, but uh, the ancient Near East does not look kindly upon women. Uh, they did not view them as valuable. They viewed them as property. Um, but yet, the Bible has a funny way of always including these women and God's redemptive plan as a way to say, hey, listen, like, men and women were both made equal in God's image, and they will both be used for God's glory. And, you know, culture doesn't define who is valuable and who is not. And this, was, this is old, right? Like, this is extremely old. This is not 2023, you know, whatever. Like, this was, you know, God was way ahead of the curve with his views on women. And so now we're moving on to, uh, man, 1205, we're doing great. Um, so we're moving on from the Passover, moving on to Sinai. And with that also, like, let's, let's stop and before we move on to Sinai, I think this is an important, an important point to make. If we lack obedience, we will also consistently hit roadblocks on our journey. You ever feel like you're just like hitting a wall? Like you just can't, you can't move past something, whether it's in a, you know, it could be relational, it could be, it could be anything. But a lot of times these roadblocks that we hit, like we hit them and we can't get past them because there's something that we're supposed to take away. There's something that we're supposed to change. And the Lord's trying to show you like, hey, listen, if you feel like you're hitting a wall, you are. Why are you hitting that wall? Is it because we're being disobedient? Is it because in our day and age and in our culture, we feel like we can do whatever we want, whatever way we want, and that should be acceptable, right? That's, that's how we feel. But in the life of Moses, as he goes on this journey, the Lord's like, hey, listen, like, I don't just expect Pharaoh to be obedient to my commands. I expect you, Moses, to be obedient to my commands. That's a, that's a tough pill to swallow. And as we move on here, we'll see that uh, kind of towards the end. Um, journey to Sinai. So let's read uh, verse number 27 here. It says, now the Lord said to Aaron, go to meet Moses in the wilderness. So as we look at this, if you remember, like before, you know, verse 18, like Moses and Aaron should have already crossed paths in the wilderness. So we're kind of jumping around a little bit here. Um, so he went and met him at the mountain of God, which is Sinai, and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord, which he had sent him. 
and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. And then Moses and Aaron went and assembled all the elders of the sons of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. He then performed the signs in the sight of the people. And so immediately after this incident, right, and once again, we're thinking like big picture, like this is paralleling the Exodus journey. And so we've got negotiation with Pharaoh kind of foreshadowed. We got some Passover stuff that's getting thrown in here. And there's probably a little bit more to this last part of the narrative, but kind of where I landed on it is it's very, like the way it's crunched together, Moses gets to Sinai and he's with Aaron at Sinai. And then immediately after, he's, he's conveying the word of the Lord to the elders of Israel. Like it's, you know, in, in that narrative, it's the same as what happens after they cross the Red Sea and get through the wilderness to Sinai. And so this is kind of the, the end of the road from that perspective. Um, but, you know, this, this whole thing, like this is just one of many examples of how the Exodus is both prefigured many, many, many times over in these different narratives before the event actually happens and how the Bible uses the Exodus as a type of something to point to the new Exodus that Jesus brings us. And I think, man, Easter's gonna be awesome. Can't wait. Not letting the cat out of the bag or anything. Spoiler alert in case you don't have a Bible, right? <laughs> um, but anyway, so immediately following, you know, we have, we have this, this Sinai incident and then he gets back to Egypt to communicate uh, with, with the Israelites. And so, <clears throat> let's see here. From Sinai onward, Moses is noticeably different. He's a courageous and strong leader. Like chapter five on, like watch out. Like Moses is on the scene, like he's breaking necks and cashing checks. You know what I mean? Like don't mess with that guy. He'll kill you like he did the Egyptian. You know what I'm saying? Like Moses is, <laughs> it, the, how, I, how I picture this stuff in my brain, this is, it's just coming out. Um, but anyway, but he's a, he's a different guy. And what's abundantly clear is that the Lord uses our difficult journeys far more than he uses the easy ones. And a common, like, you know, enigma in our culture, right, is people like, why is my life so hard if God's real? Or why, you know, why does fill in the blank happen? And the long short of it is, I'm not God, I don't know. Uh, that's the short answer. Um, but I think part of that, too, that we should think about is it's very observable, right, that the Lord uses hard things and trials in our lives to build us. And it's very observable in this story that Moses is not the same guy. Like at the end of this in chapter five that we'll see next week as he was at the burning bush. He's a very different guy. And the only explanation for that is that on this journey, all of the things that he went through, the Lord did a work in him so that he could do a work through him. That's the, that's the recurring thing here is the Lord said, I'm gonna... Like on your journey, in the same way that the Israelites will be transformed from Exodus to Sinai, you, Moses, will be transformed, or uh, Egypt to Sinai. That's what I meant to say. Um, so in that same way, we find ourselves on our own little Exodus journeys, right? And what I want you to do is I want you to, to think about and empathize with Moses a little bit, is that he, you read the story and you're like, man, this guy, like he's, he can't get it together. Like he's, you know, I mean, what, what kind of parent is this guy? He can't even circumcise the son. It's really simple. And you, you say all that and then you're like, you know what? I'm kind of a, like, I actually align more with Moses at this stage than I do with Moses, like after this stage, which means that we all are at some point in, in a journey for ourselves. And we all are in the same boat as Moses where we're, we're getting in our own way. 
we're making excuses. We're, you know, we're just totally beefing it on all fronts. Nobody, nobody got that one. That's cool. Kenny, that was a rocket power reference. I did that for you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> um, but, you know, we all, if we're honest with ourselves, we all find ourselves in this position where we, we are acting and responding a lot like what Moses did, where we are usually the problem. And so what, what made the difference? What, what was the difference in Moses' life as he has, has now made this journey and he's come out the other side a stronger guy? What made the difference? And I have two things that I feel like I was able to kind of draw uh, from the story here um, that I think are, are, you know, really simple, but really, uh, man, if you take the time to think about them, um, if you take some time and pray on these things, like I think the Lord's going to wreck you like he wrecked me. Um, so tools for the trip, right? If we're all in the same boat, if we're all kind of like Moses a little bit, you're on this journey, uh, you're kind of messing up, but you want to get where God wants you to get, how do you get there? Number one, identify what you need to leave behind. When we look at Moses, we see in Midian where there's a lot of stuff that guy needs to leave in Midian when he leaves Midian. You know what I mean? And if we're all honest with ourselves, there are a lot of things that we carry with us on a day-to-day that we need to just let go of. Maybe it's a toxic relationship that you know just poisons the rest of your life. Maybe it's a bad habit. Maybe it's a lack of good habits. I don't know what it is for you, but for Moses, like we talked about, it was his mountain of excuses on why the Lord couldn't do something. It was his, his uh, you know, constant, like his half-truths, right? Like he was not exactly the most truthful person. He did lack faith a lot. Like this guy had a lot of shortcomings to let go of. And what we'll find in the narratives to follow is that Moses does develop into a strong leader, but he's still not perfect. And you won't be either. I won't be either right? I am like far cry from, from perfect. Just ask my wife. She'll tell you. Um, <laughs> but number one, identify what you need to leave behind. Uh, Jesus said this in Matthew 530. I thought this was fitting uh, for, for this point here. Uh, he says, if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now we read that and we're like, okay, Jesus, you want us to cut off our hands? No. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe if that's like your problem is your hand, sure. Um, But for 100 out of 100 of you, do not cut off your hand. Please don't do that. What Jesus is saying is he's like, listen, there are things that, that come into our lives that we choose to hold on to. And he was like, if you let that stay, it's going to poison you and it's going to kill you. And he was like, so even if it's something that you feel like is as important to you as your right hand, you need to cut that junk out and get rid of it like plain and simple. And there are a lot of things in all of our lives that we, we hold on to uh, that maybe we know deep down somewhere that are not healthy things that we're holding on to. Um, you need to let go of it. Let this morning be the morning that the Lord does something in your heart that prompts you to say, you know what? This, like, I've, I've, you know, I can't fathom what it would be like for me to let go of X, Y, Z, but I'm gonna trust the Lord and I'm gonna let go of it. Because one thing for sure happened on Moses' journey from Midian to Egypt. He let some stuff go. He, he, he left some bad habits in the dust. He definitely left some relationships in the dust with his father-in-law. I'm not saying that his relationship with his father-in-law was toxic, but he did leave it behind. I'm just throwing that out there, right? It's there. It's in the Bible. Um, so think about what you feel like and maybe ask the Lord, hey, what's, 
what's something in my life that needs to be pruned out, that needs to be, needs to be removed? Like, he'll, he'll tell you. He'll let you know. And number two, and this go, these two go hand in hand, and I'll explain why. Uh, number two, replace what you leave behind. How many of y'all have ever tried to quit smoking before? I'm not going to put you on blast. It's very, very difficult. My father has been a smoker his whole life, and he has tried to quit like forever times, right? And it just never, it never sticks. But I do remember every time that he would attempt to quit that, he would always try to replace that with something. You know what I mean? Whether it was gum, whether it was uh, chips, or uh, one time, I think it was those razzles, those candies that they sell, this random, random stuff that he would try to just kick it and kind of fill that, uh, fill that desire. You know what I mean? But for every other area of life, when it's something that we're used to, that we're comfortable with, that we, you know, it's just kind of something that we let live with us, like it's, it's the same way. If you cut something out and you don't replace it with something, it's going to come back. That's the truth of it. And, you know, smoking is just a, you know, everybody knows how hard it is to quit smoking, right? That's not the thing. That's just an example here, right? But the thing is that we all have things that we need to shed and get rid of, but if you don't replace them with something that's on the opposite end of the pendulum, it's just going to come right back. And you're going to be at square one, you know, in a day, a week, a month, a year, whatever, right? And so replace what you leave behind with something. And I think that... Um, I think that Paul has some really good words on this. Uh, it's a long passage of scripture, but I felt like there was value uh, in reading it because this is church. Um, so we're going to read that real quick. Uh, it's, uh, I think it's Ephesians 4.21. Yep. So Paul says this, If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed and the spirit of your mind, and you put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must no longer steal, but rather he must labor." performing with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesomeness or, or let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word is as good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. And so that's replacement theory, right? Paul lists off a laundry list of things that we should put off and stop doing. And he says, now put on these things. Put on charity. Put on love. Put on fill in the blank, right? Because that blank looks different for all of us. But he says, listen, for everything that you're casting out, for everything that you're getting rid of, that's great. But if you don't replace it with something, you're, you're not making any progress. You see what I'm saying? And finally, verse 31. And this just kind of, this to me is the icing on the cake here as we kind of come to a close. Uh, verse 31 of Exodus chapter four says this. So the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about the sons of Israel, and that he had seen their affliction, then they bowed low and worshiped. 
the I mean the the thing the response here is it's it's incredible. Uh, these you know think about the situation that these Israelites found themselves in. They were, I mean, generations of of being slaves. They knew nothing different. Like all they knew was a life of bondage, and they knew that they were children of Abraham, and they knew that their God would would deliver them at some point. And then comes Moses with a message. And that message from Moses was, you are in bondage, you are in exile, you are are just as low as you can go, but guess what? I'm here to free you from it. I'm here to be the instrument that God uses to get you out of this this mess that you found yourself in for generations. And their response was, they were in awe. They were awestruck at the love that God had for them. The fact that he looked on them just, you know, a tiny people group in the Middle East, and he looked on them with compassion and said, I'm going to do a work on their behalf, and I'm going to free them from their bondage. The Lord was ready to do a work in their midst. And at the end of this verse, it says, then they bowed low and worshiped. The Israelites, they were in a place where they were ready to receive what the Lord wanted to do. And as we sit here this morning, I think that all of us, myself included, like we all, men, as we we look at ourselves in contrast with Moses, and it's really, really cool that like, you know, the Exodus is prefigured here, but, but here's the big thing. The Lord wants to do a work in you so he can do a work through you. And this morning, look, maybe it's just one person in here, but the Lord is willing, the Lord is ready to make a move, and I want that move to be in you this morning. I want you to be willing and ready to receive what the Lord has for you because he's ready. He's been ready. All it takes is for you to say, yes, Lord, that's me. Thank you for watching and joining us for our church online. I pray this experience was just what you needed today. If you made a decision for the Lord to follow Christ, or if the Lord did something in your heart that was special today, we would love to hear about it. Post it in the comments, send us a message, and we'll reach out to you. Have a wonderful week, and God bless.